of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 19, Ephesians 1, verse 19. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Lord, tonight as we study your word together, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes, that you would guide us and lead us into all truth, that you would sanctify us, Lord, build up our faith, build up our faith tonight. God, we know that without faith, it is impossible to please you. We know, God, that everything that is done, and if it is not done in faith, it is sin. That everything that is not of faith is sin. And so, Lord, I pray tonight, let faith arise in the heart of your people. God, don't let us be like the children of Israel who had promises, who had your presence, but yet, Lord, did not go forward into what you called them to do. But, Lord, help us to believe, to trust and to walk forward in faith. And help us tonight to realize that Jesus, you have the name above all names. You have all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. Lord, tonight, bless this time of study, I pray. Anoint me and anoint your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In our look at this section of Paul's letter, we have been considering the prayer that Paul, the apostle, made for the believers at the church at Ephesus. And we touched on this a little bit last week, how Paul, we saw beginning in verse 15 and 16, and then we went to several other of Paul's letters, and we got a glimpse into the life of this man, and we realized that Paul was preeminently a man of prayer. Ephesians 1 and verse 15, he says this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And we must never forget the power of prayer. We must never lay aside that reality that God hears when we pray. Amen. That that nothing is too far gone. Amen, that no one is too far out of reach of the grace of God. Amen, that it does not matter how far somebody goes, it does not matter how low they may seem to fall, that there is power in prayer to move a God God that hears and God can get into a heart of a man and open up their eyes and change them. Amen, how many believe that? How many believe that where words, your words may not have an impact, you may be beating like your fist up against the wall, but there's power when you get God involved in the situation. Amen? Amen. And Paul was a man of prayer, and we realized that the apostles understood. The apostles understood that prayer is the foremost weapon of the church. 
carry out the work of God on the earth. The apostles understood the importance of prayer. And we get a glimpse of that in Acts chapter 6 when there was an issue that was risen within the church at Jerusalem. It's one of the first issues that ever rose up internally. Actually, it was the second. There were two people that dropped dead because they lied to the Holy Ghost. But this is one of the first instances where there was an actual internal issue and it was because there were people that were being neglected. The Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so they came to the apostles and they said, hey, we are being left out. And the apostles said, it's not right for us to leave the ministry of the word to go and wait on tables. They didn't say that it wasn't important that they did that. That that was an important ministry, but they understood that they could not be distracted with that and then be led away from the ministry of prayer and the word. And here's what they said in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what the apostles devoted themselves to, prayer and the ministry of the word, because they understood that the success of the gospel was contingent upon prayer. Man, the success of the ministry was contingent upon people praying. How many understand that's the thermometer of the church? Is what's prayer like within that church? That's the thermometer. That's what you know the temperature is like within a body. There's an old cliche. It's a cliche now, but it's, it goes like this. Much prayer, much power. Right? More prayer, more power. Less prayer, less power. That's right. It's a reality, church. And here you see, you get a glimpse of the ministry of the Apostle Paul that he was praying. He said things like this, I do not cease to pray for you. I do not cease to pray for you always. I lift you up always before the Lord. We see that he was a man of prayer. And here's what he prayed. We got into this last week. This is what he prayed for, for the church at Ephesus. This was the request that he was offering up to God for them. It says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation, and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He prayed for them. You see there in verse 17, that they would know God, that they would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That is, that they would know God. That they would enter into this. That there would be an intimacy with God. That they would know God not just through head knowledge. That they would know God not just through the fact that Paul preached to them or they joined a, an organization or they actually joined that church at Ephesus or wherever they were. But that they truly had an experiential knowledge of God. That they knew God. That they knew Him. Amen. And how many know there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God? There's a big difference between having a head knowledge of God, having facts and knowing certain things, knowing Bible stories and knowing all that information. All those things are important. 
It's good to know those things. It's good to teach people those things. It's good to articulate those things. But that does not mean that you know him. And Jesus made that statement in Matthew 7. There'll be many on that day. There'll be many on that day that say to me, Lord, Lord. And then he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. But he prays that they would know God. And in verse 18, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that their heart would truly understand, that the eyes of their understanding, that the eyes of their heart would truly understand. Think about it. How do you describe? Think about this. How do you describe the taste of chocolate to somebody that has no taste buds? You'd be like, it's it's creamy, it's sweet. Uh, Depending on what type it is, it might have some bitterness to it. It might have some, some more sweetness to it, depending. You, you, you try to describe that to them, right? It's hard. It, it's hard. But the minute they taste it, they know, right? How do you describe the sun to somebody that, that has never seen before, that's been born blind? You say, oh, it's a bright ball of glass of gas and and in the and it gives light to everything and then when you're uh when it's summertime it's hotter and when it it's it, it in the winter it's cooler how do you describe it but when somebody sees it and somebody feels it they automatically understand what you're talking about and that's what Paul was praying for them that they would their eyes of their understanding would be enlightened that they would know that they would know There's a difference between describing. Think of everything that he just described. That you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Think about it. Chosen in him. Before the foundation of the world. Changed, made holy. All of those things, all of those benefits. Predestined, accepted, redeemed, forgiven of your sins. You've been given an inheritance. And to some people, they hear it and they hear it and they hear it. And they're like, yeah, that sounds really good. But to people that have entered into it and experience of it, they've actually entered into it. It's like, yes, yes. Paul doesn't even know he's at a loss for words to describe. He's, he, he's just saying it's, it's a so good. You can tell I was yelling earlier this week, can't you? I'm going to have to take a drink of water. But he prays for them that the eyes of their understanding, that they would know, that they would know the hope of his calling. That's the first thing, that's the second thing he prays for, that they would know the hope of his calling, that this hope that we have is, is ours, that it's a living hope, it's a secure hope, it's a glorious future. We have a glorious future That we as believers, no matter what we are going through, are never hopeless. Even when we're faced with death, death just delivers the Christian into the arms of Christ. We can't lose. If you're saved, death is just entering into glory. Amen? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? All right. And then he prays that we would know the riches of his inheritance in the saints, verse 18. 
What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And he's already mentioned that we have an inheritance, that we have an inheritance of future hope and glory, but then we realize that we are the inheritance of Christ, that he bought us with his own blood, that we belong to him and we are the ones that he inherits. We are his bride. Do you realize that? He purchased you. We are the bride of Jesus. And one day we're going to enter in. The bridegroom is going to come. Amen. And the virgins that have the oil in their lamps are going to go out and meet him. Amen. One day the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. We'll meet the bridegroom. Amen. In the air. And he will enter into his inheritance. And then he says, in verse 19, he prays, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? He prays that we would know the power of God, that we would know he says, what is the exceeding greatness? That is, he, it's immeasurable. It's exceedingly great. It's, it's over, it's abundant, the power toward us or to usward who believe. Think about this power. Think about it. Within this verse, verse 19, Paul uses four Greek words to describe power, and they're all synonyms. There's four different words that he uses to describe the power of God. The first one that he uses, speaking of the exceeding greatness of his power, that's the first one, and it's the word dunamis. The Greek word dunamis, from where we get our word dynamite. It's the same word that is used in Acts 1 and verse 8 about receiving power, and it means literally to receive strength or to receive divine enabling, capability, potential. It's a divine enabling. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? And then it goes on to say, he goes on to say, toward us who believe according to the working. That's the second word that he uses there for power, the working. And it's the Greek word energia from where we get our English word energy. And it's speaking there of effective and active power. It's effective and active. And then he goes on and he say, says, according to the working of his mighty, mighty, that's the third word that he uses, and it's iskus, and it speaks of force or forcefulness. Literally, it speaks of overcoming resistance. That mighty power that nothing can stand in its way. And then he says... What is the, according to the working of his mighty power? Now, it's the same word in English, but it's a different Greek word. And it's krotos. It means dominion or strength. And if you look at all these, it's God's power is all-inclusive. God is the all-powerful God. His power is all-inclusive. Amen? That he has power, that is dominion over all things, and then he has the ability to carry out what he wants to carry out. Amen? You see this. Because of this, we as believers know several things with certainty. 
Look at that. Think, look at that. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power? There are several things that this reveals to us. Several things that we know with absolute certainty. Number one is that God is on our side. Man, that's an awesome thing to realize. What is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? That means God is on our side. He's ready to help no matter what we are faced with. The Word of God says that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. The word of the Lord says it says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, searching for those who are faithful toward him. He, he delights to show himself strong on behalf of those who trust in him. God is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. That's what the word of God says. Amen. We realize the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. We realize that God is on our side. So what, what are you faced with? What, what do you got going on in your life? What anxiety rises up in your heart? What problem do you have? Take it to the Lord. God is not against you. If you are his child and you're walking in obedience before him and you're walking in the narrow path, God is not against you. He's not orchestrating things against you. He is on your side. Amen? Secondly, we realize... That God's power is never inactive. It's never inactive. He is always at work. He's always doing something. Amen? God is always at work. He's working in us. He's doing something in us. Amen? His power is never inactive. Thirdly, we realize that if this power is ours, if, if God... This exceeding great power toward us who believe, we understand that God is fighting against our enemies. He's fighting against our enemies. Amen? I was praying earlier this week. You know the imprecatory psalms? They're psalms that are the prayers of David. They're called the imprecatory psalms. It's similar to what Moses prayed in the book of Numbers. When You remember when the glory would lift up from the tabernacle? And then when the glory lifted up, he, they would journey. And when the glory settled back down, they would camp. Isn't that, that's amazing. Think about it. That God led them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And that pillar and that cloud would go... And they would follow it. So you have all these people carrying their tents and all their stuff, and they'd follow this cloud. And when the cloud would stop, they would begin to unload and start camping. And sometimes they would camp for a day, sometimes for a year when they were doing other things. But Moses would pray a prayer, and he would say, Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And you see David praying those imprecatory psalms where he's praying against his enemies. He's praying, he says, Lord, smite them on the cheekbone. He's saying, Lord, knock their teeth out of their mouth. You know, and why is he doing that? He wants to see the glory of God. 
He, he is, are, you, are you angry when God is dishonored? Amen. You ever think about that? You got people that are leading people astray on this earth. You got people that are doing things that are literally targeted toward young people to actually lead them into things that will destroy them and send them into hell. And does it, does it not make you mad? Does it not? Yes, you want them to be saved. Yes, you want them to be born again. But then you pray, Lord, arise and let your enemies be scattered. Amen. God, let your name be glorified in the earth. How long, O oh Lord? David prayed that all the time. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Amen. Man, I found myself praying that. Lord, how long will these things go on and on and on? People live as if you're not even real, God. Show yourself. And I believe he's going to. Amen. It won't be too long before God will display his glory and his power in this nation. Amen. And in this world. You see, God, this power, he is fighting against our enemies. And then we see that no human strength or power from hell can deter or detour God's power. Isn't that awesome? No human power and no power from hell can stop what God has determined. Amen? Nothing. Nothing. It's his power. Think about it. It's his power that saved you. It was his power that saved you. You didn't save yourself. It was his power that took a man dead in sin, a woman dead in sin, and made you alive. It was his power that saved you. It's his power that keeps us. It's his power that is at work within us. It's his power that, that tears down strongholds. It's his power. It's his power that has the ability to set at liberty those who are bound to open up blinded eyes. It's his power. Power that can take a man in one condition and totally transform a man into another condition. It's his power. Amen. You see, he describes what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he goes on in verse 20. And he shows us where his power was displayed. I got to get a drink of water to prepare. Oh, because this verse is so awesome. It says in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Here you see his power on display. We see his power. It says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God Almighty, who spoke this world into existence. Think about it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Instantaneously in that moment, light came into existence. And it's not even the light of the sun. It's just light. Light was revealed. It wasn't the ball of gas that you see. Light came into existence. And then a few days go on and the stars get put in their place. And then the sun. You ever, you ever look up the, the size of our sun compared to the earth? The earth is like a BB in comparison to the sun. 
But the sun is not even the biggest star in the galaxy. Our sun is smaller than a bunch of other different stars. The the sun that is put in place that actually keeps us alive, that God ordained, is not even the biggest thing that there is. Our God made that. Not only did he make that, but he made the atoms and the molecules that you see in the detail within the nucleus of cells and all of those things. God made it. Amen. That's the God that we serve. And that's not where the full display of his power was even made known. The apostle Paul is running out of way. He's trying to find a way to describe the power of God. And he says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He uses the resurrection of Jesus to display to us the power of God. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, a man born in Bethlehem, a Jewish man born in Bethlehem, raised in Galilee, which was a region of Israel that the country people came from. They had a dialect that People knew you were from Galilee, almost like a southerner. You, you know when somebody's from the south. They had a specific way of talking from Galilee, right? This man named Gal- in Galilee named Jesus walked on this earth. At the age of 30, he began to preach and to teach. He began to do miracles. He began to proclaim himself as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. He went into synagogues and the Jewish leaders watched him closely. And there was a man with a withered hand. And he said, stretch forth your hand. And the man uh, stretched forth his hand was made completely whole. There was a woman that had an issue and she was bent over in her back for 18 years and he came up to her in the synagogue and said to her woman thou art loosed and immediately she stood up and they wanted to kill him because of it we read that he went about he went about Israel doing good healing all who were oppressed of the devil for three and a half years he ministered on this earth and then the Jewish leaders finally got him they finally Grabbed him. You remember while he was in Gethsemane, they came and arrested him. They brought him to that trial in the middle of the night. People plucked out his beard. They struck him on the face and they said, prophesy. If you are the Christ, tell us who hit you. They couldn't get anywhere with him. And so finally, when the day came, they took him over to Pilate. And he said, this man is a rebel. He's causing all kinds of problems for us. And Pilate examined him and said, I don't find anything in this man that is deserving of death. You remember it was the feast of the Jews. It was the Passover. And there was a custom with the Romans that they would release one prisoner. And there was a notorious prisoner by the name of Barabbas that had committed murder and rebellion. And he brought Barabbas out and he brought Jesus out. And he said, which one do you want me to release? And what did the crowd cry out? Barabbas! What should be done with Jesus? What did they cry out? Crucify him. Crucify him. Finally, when he realized he's not going to get the answer he wanted from the crowd, he handed him over, washed his hand and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And they said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. They're saying the guilt of this, let it be upon us. The Roman soldiers took Jesus and they scourged him. They whipped him with the cat of nine tails. They did all of these things. And finally, they took a beam weighing 200 pounds, 
crossbeam of that cross. After blood had gone out of his body, after he had endured all these things, a crossbeam was laid on his back and they made him carry it outside of the city, out to Golgotha. As he was carrying it, he fell under the weight of it and they compelled a man, Simon of Cyrene, to come and carry it. They led him outside of the city. They laid him down on that piece of wood and they drove nails into his hands and into his feet. They lifted him up on the cross and there he hung. And as he hung there, at this time, the Jews were like, we got rid of the rebel. We got rid of that blasphemer, right? They wagged their heads at him. They even said, hey, if you're of God, come down from there. Think of the blasphemy. Roman soldiers, it was just another day on the job for them. There were two other guys being crucified. It was a common thing for them. It was just, hey, we got another one. He hung there, and then finally the sky went dark for six hours. The sun went out. Josephus, the Jewish historian, even writes about that, that there was an eclipse on that day. Jesus, after hanging for six hours in full control, gives up his spirit. says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, yields up his spirit, and he dies. Roman guard, in order to make sure he was dead, came up to him and took a spear shoved it into his side in between the ribs, in between his rib cage, piercing his heart, and blood and water came out. Joseph of Arimathea, who was on the Sanhedrin, who was not the one, he did not vote for Jesus to be crucified. He was a righteous man. He goes to Pilate and he says, let me have his body. Let me take care of his body. And Pilate says, he's dead already? You remember that? And he gives him the body of Jesus. They take him down, that lifeless body with all the blood that had been drained out of it. He, he cleans it. He's got to do it quick because it's the preparation day. The next day is the Sabbath. He's got to get it done. And so he wipes him down, wraps him in grave clothes. The disciples are gone. You remember? They were with this man for three and a half years. They left their fishing business. They left their livelihood. They left everything to be with this guy. They're like, oh, man. Every one of them except for John were scattered. And they took Jesus and they laid him in a tomb. On that day, the Jewish leaders go into Pilate and they say, we remember that that deceiver said that after three days he would rise again. So we want you to put a guard at that, at that tomb. And he said, here, you go, I'll give you whatever you need. Go and make sure it's secure. And so they put a Roman guard at that tomb. And then they put Pilate's seal on that rock. And Jesus laid there in that tomb. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But on the third day... On the third day, life came back into Jesus Christ. And he stepped forth out of that grave. He was raised. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
Amen. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The greatest display of God's power is that life came back into the son of God. He stepped out of that tomb. The guards fell down as dead men and he rose victorious over death, hell and the grave. Which he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead, we read in Romans 1 and verse 4, and he is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. We realize only the power of God can bring life back from death. Christ's resurrection assures us That this power that raised Jesus from the dead, I love this, what it says in the book of Romans. That the same power, that the same spirit that brought Jesus up from the grave will also bring us up from the grave. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 and verse 8. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Romans 8 and verse 11, it says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you're going to be raised from the dead. You will be raised. Amen. You will not stay dead. You will not stay in that grave. Amen. You're going to be raised. Amen. Amen. I want to be I want to be here when he comes. I really do. I do. He says we shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Think about it in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. How quick is a twinkling of an eye? That's quicker than blinking. In a moment, in a moment, this world won't even know what hit it when it happens. Amen. In the twinkling of an eye, in a moment. Amen. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We see he goes on. He goes on to show us where this power was.
might and name that can be named. He is above it all. Principalities, that is angelic beings. He's over every angel. He's over every demon. Every principality. He's over them all. There's not an angel above him. He's over all principality and power and might and dominion. Over all powers. He is above them all. Turn with me to Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, this is what many believe is a sister letter to the book of Ephesians. It's very similar. It has the same outline. The first And that's exactly how Ephesians is. The first three chapters deal with doctrine, what Christ has done, what he has done for you, how he saved you, all those things. And the last three chapters deal with how you should live your life in light of what he just said. Colossians is laid out the same way. And here you see he's speaking of Christ. Ephesians deals with the church, which is the bride of Christ. And Colossians deals with the Christ of the church. He explains to us what Christ is and and who he is and his glory and his majesty. It says in verse 15, Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn is a title. That doesn't mean that he was created. That does not mean that he is a created being. Firstborn is a title. The one who is firstborn has full authority over everything. That's what that means. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. And while you're turning there, you know John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus. Hebrews 1, it says in verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways came to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. There is no one above Jesus. There is no one above Him. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, we read that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no one above him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
that He is Lord. And what does the ascension display to us? Not just that He rose from the dead after three days. Not just that He came back to life. But something happened 40 days after. of Jerusalem to a mountain. You remember He called for the glory cloud to come down and He went back into glory in a cloud. What does the ascension display to us? Number one, it fulfills His resurrection. It fulfills His resurrection. Think about it. I love this. That baby that was born in Bethlehem, that one that took on flesh, is now at the right hand of God. You realize that? Think about this. There is a man in heaven with a body. He's not a, he didn't rise spiritually. He's not just a disembodied spirit. There is a man with a body in heaven sitting at the right hand of God. Amen. He is the first fruits. That's the second thing that the ascension shows us. You know, when you plant a crop and that first crop starts rising up, then you harvest it and you wait on the other one to rise up, he's the first. That's what the ascension displays to us. Thirdly, we see that he is sitting at the right hand and he has a specific thing that he is doing. There's a specific thing that the Word of God says that he is doing right now as a man at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding on our behalf. Think about it. He he has not forgotten standing at that tomb of Lazarus, what it was like to have tears coming down. Think about it. He he knows what it's like when, when he has not forgotten when he hung on the cross and he looked at his mom and he looked at John and he said, look, you behold your mother and you behold your son. He knows what it's like. He's not forgotten what it feels like when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the way he's sitting at the right hand. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is at the right hand of God. He knows what we go through. Amen. Amen. He is there. There's a man there. Amen. There's a song. It's an awesome song by Casting Crowns. It says, the only scars in heaven, they're not going to be on me and you. Right? They're not going to be on me and you. But I believe he's got those nail prints in his hands. Amen. I believe he's got them there. I believe they are reminding him. They are a reminder to him of the price that he paid. He's always, he always lives to intercede on our behalf. Amen. Amen. Not only that, but he, sitting at the right hand of the Father, is the one 
who pours out the Holy Spirit. I love that because on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, he said he has been exalted to the right hand and he has poured out what you see. He pours out the Holy Spirit upon his people. He pours out. We like to say it like this. Jesus is the Holy Spirit baptizer. Jesus is the Holy Spirit baptizer. He pours out the Holy Spirit. And it shows us, the ascension shows us that he is above all things. He is above all things. Amen. And there will come a day. Right now it says, the, the psalmist quotes it, Paul quotes it, Peter quotes it. My Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. There is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And it says in verse 22, and he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. He's put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And this is the fulfillment of Psalms 8. Psalm 8 is one of my favorite psalms. What is man that you are made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have put all things under his feet. There is a man in glory who has all things under his feet. Amen. Then it says there, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is his body. And Paul uses that. He describes the church as the body. John the Revelator describes the church as the bride. The bride of And Christ is the head. That we are so connected that we are his body. He is the one that is in control. He is the one that is at work within his people. And that you can't have one without the other. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He fills all in all. We are his body. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read two verses and then we're going to pray. 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul uses this language. He speaks more about it in Ephesians 4. Lord willing, Lord willing, we'll get there. So we won't go too far into it now, but Lord willing, we're going to get there. I'm really, I, I want to get to Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. I'm doing everything I can not to skip, but we'll get there. How many love the book of Ephesians? Amen. It's man. If there's a book in the Bible that, or, that you should memorize, I know, I know pastors that have memorized this entire book. It would be worth 
it would be worth the effort to memorize this book. I have certain ones, portions of it memorized, but I want to memorize the whole thing. You know, there could come a day when we might have to memorize. I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. Amen. It says there in 1 Corinthians 12, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. We are the body. Romans 12, it says in verse 5, So we being many are one body in Christ, one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We see that He is the head of the church. He is in control. He is at work. He is the one that fills all and all. He fills the church. We see this power. Paul prays that we would understand. He says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power? Toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Lord, help us to know the power. That is ours. Amen. Help us to know. Help us to rest secure in that power. Amen. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I love you. I love you, God. Lord, you are exalted. You are sitting at the right hand right now. And Lord, I praise you. And Lord, I pray that we would have, that you would open up our understanding. That we would fully, under, that we would enter into an understanding of what is ours. The hope of your calling. That we would understand that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge. of your power toward us who believe. Lord, help us, I pray. Give us understanding. And Lord, I pray that we would know you more and more and more and more, that we would know you, know you, God. Move on every heart that's here, God, on those watching with us online, that we would enter in to a deeper, more knowledge, intimate knowledge of you, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.